0: I said what do you have? He said I'm looking for all dreams. Same
1: conversation night after night shows me that same old picture and all black and white. That's the love of my life. I'm looking for all dreams fine, tinkling greetings to every single one of you eerily amazing people. Those tunes that just reached your ears is courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, and I'm of course your host, Tessa Morrow. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Legends. Murder. A serial killer. Ghosts. This location has it all. And then some. Get a poncho or a raincoat on and cover up your electronics as today we find ourselves in the middle of the Long Island Sound. Execution Rocks Lighthouse. Even the name is eerie. Gotta love it. This beautiful lighthouse is about 62 or so feet tall and located 1,400 feet from shore. Now, the original idea before being built, they wanted to station a lighthouse ship there. Now, it was much cheaper than building an actual lighthouse, but thankfully they ultimately decided against that, and we now have what's known as Execution Rocks Lighthouse. In 1838, a letter is penned by William Ellis, a collector and superintendent of lights for the district out of New Haven. A lighthouse or light boat on Execution Rocks, Long Island Sound. The Execution Rocks lie near the head of Long Island Sound, the eastern extremity of the reef bearing from Sands Point Light, North 21 West. Distant three-quarters of a mile and are passed by the majority of the vessels engaged in the extensive trade through the sound. In clear weather... The light upon Sands Point is an excellent guide for the southern channel, but it cannot be depended on when the weather is thick and boisterous and to those passing to the northward of the reef. It affords but little assistance at any time. On this account, a light and bell upon the reef would contribute greatly to the safety of the navigator.
0: Please, with the cherry on top.
1: Now... Close to 10 years later, in early 1847, the United States Congress finally dishes out $25,000 to build a lighthouse on execution rocks. Today, that $25,000 is a few bucks shy of $865,000. Construction is complete by 1849, but is not officially lit until the following year in 1850. And... That is when it began operation. Its light, still to this very day, flashes every 10 seconds. Now, if I calculated this correctly, that means it flashes 8,640 times a day. That is incredible. The lighthouse is now constructed and complete, but at the time, they did not have the funds to build a lighthouse keeper living quarters, which is very important, you know, so unfortunately, The first lighthouse keeper and his wife actually had to live in the base of the lighthouse itself. Talk about tight quarters. I hope they were the couple that got along really good and not at each other's throats. Eventually, they do gather the funds necessary to build the sweet, cozy structure, what looks to be made out of brick and stone, I believe. And it contains three chimneys, several windows, and a double story. Now, this is where the caretaker and his family would live. It was built in 1868, a huge improvement considering the first people were stuck living in the lighthouse 24-7. As we see in many cases with lighthouses, even after they're constructed, there's bumps, hiccups, and mishaps that happen throughout time. One incident that I found that took place in 1857, and if it weren't for the watchful eye, of a lighthouse keeper, a man's life surely would have been lost. One cold December day. (laughs) No, scratch that. It's December, in New York, on the water. One freezing December day. Yes, that's better. This day in particular was filled with ice-cold freezing and chill-you-to-the-bone harsh gusts of winds. Keeper Joseph Brundage happened to notice what looked to be a boat being thrashed about in the wild waters. Upon further review, Joseph sees what looks to be an elderly man on the small boat. The Keeper, along with Captain John Marshall, a Hellgate pilot, successfully towed the boat back to the lighthouse. The rescued man appears to be extremely intoxicated, and probably would have died if it weren't for the brave acts of Joseph Brundage and John Marshall. So good job, fellas. Another amazing event occurs in 1905 when the head keeper, a man named Willis Green, comes face to face with a potentially deadly situation. He often would have to row from Execution Rocks to Port Washington or Manasset to get things that he and his family needed. In the winter season, the Long Island Sound is filled with gigantic ice floes. Well, one cold and unforgiving day, Willis is desperately trying to make it to the safety of the shore. When he suddenly comes close to death, nearly losing his life when he became wedged between two ice floes. Friends in the village, they offer to get him back to the lighthouse, but at this point, His family had already gone without food for over a day. He cannot come back empty-handed. He also did not want to put who would have been his friends and rescuers in harm's way. So Willis, you know, he kindly declines the offer. He is on a mission, and he intends to complete the mission. As he leaves the safety of the land with food in hand, people watch with high hopes, prayers, Adrenaline and anticipation as the head keeper slowly finds his way back to execution rocks, and they roar with pure ecstatic and joy when he arrives safely. Two fires do occur here. The first takes place in 1918. Now, thankfully, with the help of the lighthouse keepers and Navy patrol boats and soldiers from Fort Slocum, they were able to get it under control, but not before the Inferno causes $13,500 in damages. Today, that's $253,653. The end result of the first fire was the complete loss of the engine house and the machinery. The tower and oil house were damaged as well. Thankfully, no lives were claimed. It all started as quite the normal day at Execution Rocks. It's December 8th, 1918. Lighthouse keeper Peter Forgett notices the engine that provides the power to the light and foghorn is running much slower than usual. The job that it details, this is quite unacceptable. It could be life and death. So Peter goes to investigate the matter, He heads to the engine room, and as he goes to open the door, he is shocked to see flames licking the air viciously. Thankfully, he came when he did, or who knows what more damage could have been done. Now, sometime in 1920, the lighthouse finds itself dancing with flames once again. This time, the culprit was an overheated exhaust pipe, setting the engine room on fire. There was some smoke damage to the clockworks and lens, but it was quite minor. Earlier that same year in 1920, on a cold February day, the steamer main collides with the rocks on execution rocks, one snowy and icy day. The winds are excruciatingly high and dangerous. They are caught in the full moon tide, nearly hitting the lighthouse. Fourteen horses were on board. These sweet horses stayed on the island for three days until they were finally able to be rescued. Thankfully, no fatalities, very lucky, very fortunate. The steamer Maine was a baby, only 29 when she went down into her watery grave at the west end of the Long Island Sound. Built in 1891 and wrecking and sinking in 1920. Drivers. Do go and investigate from time to time. But if you go, please use caution as these waters tend to be quite heavy with ship traffic. And visibility, I hear, is oftentimes very poor. So don't know about that one. How did this location get its name? Execution Rocks. Word is that British soldiers would chain colonists to the Rock Island during the low tide And then when high tide would make its appearance, it acted as the executioner drowning the doomed people. They would leave the bodies so when they brought others, they would see what was to become of them, and there was no escaping. Another thing I saw was that people who owned slaves would bring them to the rocks where, like the colonists, they too would be chained up and meet an excruciating death. Don't know if any of these have actually happened, but... A lot goes with these rocks. The fact that it's possible that this could have actually happened, people, whether it was slaves, colonists, whoever, they were chained down and waiting to die. Well, it made quite the terrifying impression on the minds of the keepers and their families, people who had to call execution rocks their home. So much so to the fact That no contracts were needed to be signed, so if the lighthouse keeper suddenly loses his cool, becomes overwhelmed, and demands to leave, they wouldn't have their hands tied behind their backs and could immediately transfer the keeper to another location. During the American Revolutionary War, a ship that was filled with British soldiers were on their way with a sole mission to stop General Washington. And it was during this excursion that they hit a reef head-on. It turns out to be execution rocks, hidden anxiously under the water, waiting to attack, waiting to make its move. No one on the ship survives this wreck. More deaths linked to the deadly island. Online, I found a man who was the last officer in charge at the lighthouse, a gentleman who retired from the Coast Guard. He says that several people had been murdered here by the British Army during King George's reign in England. And I tried to find a way to reach out to him to have him be on, but I was unsuccessful. I was unable to find him, so... But if he's listening by any chance, thank you for your service with the Coast Guard. It is greatly appreciated.
0: In my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arsons, and last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1,000 male human beings. For all these things, I am not the least bit sorry.
1: Enter Karl Panzram, one murderous bastard that is linked to Execution Rocks, a horrific serial killer that places himself in the area in his own autobiography. In the 1920s, this international killer, who claimed several victims, not only in the United States but also in South Africa, uses the area for dumping ground for his victims.
0: I would take a rope and tie a rock onto them, and put them into my rowboat, row out in the main channel aboard one mile, and drop them overboard. I figured it would be a good plan to hire a few sailors to work for me, get them out to my yacht, get them drunk, commit sodomy, rob them, and then kill them. This, I've done."
1: Now. Excuse my language, but this man was a brutal fucking killer, and a vicious, heinous man. If you want to call him a man, a ravenous beast seems more appropriate for Carl Pansram. He had no regrets. Well, mm, I take that back. He did have two.
0: I am sorry for only two things. I am sorry that I mistreated some few animals in my life. And I am sorry that I am unable to murder the whole damned human race.
1: Like, wow, really? What do you say to something like that? Carl had pure hate running through his veins. His crimes ranged throughout the states. In 1920 in New Haven, Connecticut, he breaks into the mansion of William H. Taft. On a side note, I actually visited his grave at Arlington National Cemetery. Now, this is no random break-in, no random robbery. Carl knew exactly whose home, or at that time it was the former home, of Taft. A man he held responsible for putting him away in Leavenworth. Something that Pans Ram was obviously extremely very bitter about. He steals a ton of stuff, including some of William's wife's jewelry and Taft's Colt 1911 .45 caliber. With the money he had stolen, he buys a yacht that he names Aquista. With this yacht, he is able to get sailors and lure the unsuspecting men to their sudden deaths. And it wasn't hard either. Oftentimes he would find these sailors at bars, usually already plastered drunk. They were eager to jump at the opportunity to make some additional money, not knowing that they just got a date with a rope and a Colt 45.
0: We would wine and dine, and when they were drunk enough, they would go to bed. When they were asleep, I would get my U.S. Colt Army automatic that I stole from Mr. Taft's home, and I would blow their brains out.
1: He will take out several people this way until his right-hand lady, the Akista, sinks, and the sailors are able to breathe a sigh of relief <sighs> and are a little bit on the safer side. <sighs> Now, I mentioned this before, but years ago, like in the early 2000s, I wrote a book that I never published. It was about 200 pages long, and it was all about serial killers. Carl Panzram was one of the people that I mentioned. And writing that book, doing the research, I learned a lot about these people, these monsters. And one thing that kind of really stood out and differentiated Carl with the others was a couple different things. One was when he was in the courtroom. And there was a moment when Pan's Ram threatens the lives of these anti-death penalty people. These people, they're protesting, they're begging for the system to please spare this murderer's life. And as they make their case, he abruptly stops them. He's not grateful. He's furious. He's downright angry. He wants death. He demands death. He doesn't want to live in some prison cell. He wants to die. And he says something to the effect of,
0: I wish you all had one neck so I could strangle you all at once.
1: And another thing he did was, while he was in South Africa, he very much so took advantage of the wildlife there, and he would take his victims and feed them to the crocodiles. A scene right out of a horror movie. (sighs) And I think it's probably safe to say that many people were relieved when he was finally executed by Hanging in 1930. Before his execution, he is asked if he has any last words. His last words are basically taunting and talking shit to the executioner, the very man that will end his life. Hurry
0: up, you hoser bastard. I could kill a dozen men while you're screwing around.
1: In his autobiography, which he wrote while incarcerated, he pens,
0: All that I leave behind me is smoke, death, desolation, and damnation.
1: Sometimes death is like the only option. Good riddance, dude. Visitors have claimed to have seen full-bodied apparitions at execution rocks and shadows that dart back and forth, hearing disembodied footsteps and sounds that they cannot explain Even a seasoned skeptic would have issues doing so. (gasps) People have also heard cries and torturous screams. Are these the souls of the people that were chained to the rocks? You can actually take a boat tour there via a water taxi. And I saw that the price is $75 for these tours. Or you can do a unique Airbnb and stay the night for $300. I believe you're provided with an air mattress, water, and a portable camp toilet. This is definitely for the unique experience saying that you were able to stay in a haunted lighthouse in the middle of Long Island Sound and not so much for luxury. Like no electricity, nothing. So just, you know. But who knows? You may make a new friend perhaps with one of the American Revolutionary War soldiers who were executed, as it is believed that several haunt execution rocks. I found some online accounts of people sharing their experiences and their encounters, people who have either stayed here or visited here from a tour. One overnight guest was jerked awake at 2 a.m. by an extremely loud crash-like sound, followed by howling wind. Somehow a door had come loose and blew open. This made the entire living room where this person was camped out in rattle. The person decides to go outside for a moment to get some fresh air.
0: It was high tide. The waves that had earlier been yards below us were now right at the doorstep, as of to remind me of the location's gruesome history.
1: Another visitor describes the living quarters as eerily quiet. In one corner of the house rested old musical instruments that no longer make sounds. In the attic hung a ghost-like image hanging from the ceiling. Inside, fine dust covered the entire floor. At the end of the structure, spiral staircases wound into the tower. Finding the bottom of the stairs was like playing a game of hide-and-seek in an unfamiliar house. Up in the lantern room, however, sunlight poured in through giant glass panes, offering soaring and majestic views of the Long Island Sound. I found a video on YouTube of a paranormal team sharing their overnight investigation at Execution Rocks. They document the water taxi ride, and almost immediately, as they walk inside, they're hearing sounds. And I don't believe, besides the camera, they had any equipment on yet at this time because they had just gotten there. But the video does capture what sounds to me like a disembodied voice. And remember, folks, they're in the Long Island Sound. There's no cars, people, loud neighbors, no animals, no honking cars, you know, nothing. It's just them, the water, and the ghosts. Another thing... That's hard to explain is that they noticed the door that just moments earlier they opened, entered and closed behind them is now open. Now they even mentioned, geez, it's kind of hard to open and close this door like it's a very heavy door. And yet here it is just completely open as if it was as light as a feather. Now, at one point, they are on the spiral staircase heading up the lighthouse when they suddenly hear footsteps and also another disembodied voice. They hear so many different things that they mention a few times. They wonder if someone came here and is actually hiding and watching them. They're stuck here until the morning. There's no calling an Uber or jumping in a taxi and driving away. When you stay here at Execution Rocks, There's no way out. It's just you and the Long Island Sound. So for the thrill seekers and the adventurers out there, and for the people who don't mind not having electricity 24-7, you might want to put Execution Rock's Lighthouse on your bucket list. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, you can head on over to any of those awesome podcast platforms such as Amazon Music Podcast, CastBox, Stitcher, Podbean, Overcast, Owl Tell, wherever you may roam to listen to your other amazing podcasts. You'll probably find Paranormal Brothers podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Lulio, Sweden. Brandon, Mississippi, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Williamsburg, Virginia, and Northwells, Florida. As always, it is awesomely appreciated. Thank you so much for stopping by. And here's a message from my good friend, Alexander Falk. People, if you don't come back and listen to Paranormal
0: Prowler's newest episode, I will come and beat you with a rubber hose (laughs) like you've never been beaten before.
1: Stay spooky, my friends, and I will see you
0: next week.